Yeah. Everyone all right? No? We're here. We made it. Some of you are here because there's heat here and there's not heat at home. So that's good. I'll take that. Well, it's good to see you. And um, this month we have been praying every day. Each each month we've kind of had a different one-sentence prayer to pray every day. And for this month our prayer has been, Lord, make us clean. Yeah. And that comes from Matthew chapter 8. Someone cried out to Jesus to make him clean. And when we say make us clean, that refers to physical healing, but also any kind of emotional or relational or spiritual healing that we need. It is a prayer for God to make us whole and just cleanse us of anything that is weighing us down. And so we've been praying that simple sentence for ourselves, for our families, for our church family. And um, there can be several barriers to God making us clean. He is good. He wants to cleanse us. But sometimes we have barriers. I think the first one we tend to think of is sin, and that, that certainly can be a barrier. Um, but there's others. And one of the barriers that's quite common is that God wants to cleanse us through rest. And we won't take it. God uses both rest and work to restore and refresh us. He gives us healthy rhythms that he prescribes in his words. Healthy rhythms of work, of being productive and creative to give us a sense of purpose. But then also healthy rhythm of rest where we can just release the pressure of having to produce. Um, I'm not going to teach on Sabbath today. In the future, I will. But Sabbath is a gift from God. Yeah, it is a gift. It's a gift where God gives his people one day out of every week to rest. And in Exodus, He, when he's commanding his people to take the Sabbath rest, he tells them one of the reasons why is so they will learn to trust him. You see, to take that rest, we have to let go of some things, don't we? Yeah, we have to let go of some things. And we have to trust God to pick up and provide for whatever we let go of. In America, we tend to be pretty horrible at this. (laughs) Like of all the cultures in the world, we tend to be the worst at having healthy rhythms of work and rest. Um, we can kind of cycle between like workaholism and then laziness and then workaholism and laziness. Um, I remember for years, I, I practiced Sabbath, but on my Sabbath day, I slept the whole day because I was so worn out from the rest of the week. Um, we really have a hard time balancing these things in a healthy way. The normal rhythm God's given us is six days of work. And one day of rest. But there's also times when we need more rest. Um, Times of grief. Times after managing a crisis or a trauma. We will need more rest. And God wants to use rest to heal and refresh us. But sometimes we refuse to take it. So this week um, in our Bible reading for Lent, 
Um, the passage was from Matthew chapter 11. It's on these cards. If you don't have one, we have plenty of them still up here. I hope you're reading these passages. Even if you're not leading a Bible reading group, you can read it with your family or just by yourself. But the passage for each week, um, it, it's only maybe takes 10 to 20 minutes to read, but it will help prepare you for the messages we share. It also help prepare you for Easter, help prepare you just for your week. Because God's word, it breathes life into us, right? Yeah. So it's the only time we're getting God's word here on Sunday morning. That, that's kind of like going through your week on a ventilator or something. <laughs> you know, it's just not enough. We need more God's word. So I hope you're using these. But from this week, one of the passages we read from Matthew chapter 11 said this. I think we have it on the screen. We have it on the screen back there. There we go. Okay. Thank you. Um, Come to me. This is Jesus talking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It goes on. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, And my burden is light. Will you pray with me just a moment? God, these are beautiful words from you. They can be words that are hard to believe. Sometimes we believe that God um, is a taskmaster or God is a harsh judge. Or just in our own culture, we it becomes very hard for us to find rest. And so, God, we just pray that you'll let this word from you sink into our souls. And that we would trust you. And God, we pray that you'll show us the healthy rhythms that you want us to have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so our passage for today continues with this theme about how God provides and heals us through rest. So if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I, sh- I normally give you the passage ahead of time, so you're there, prepared. I didn't this Sunday. Matthew chapter 14. So we're going to start in verse... It says this, Now Herod had arrested John, that's referring to John the Baptist, and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. Let me give you just a quick backstory on this. So, King Herod the Great was king when Jesus was born. And then after he died, his three sons divided up his territory, and they each ruled a territory as Tetrarch. Okay? So, Philip the Tetrarch was one son. And he married Herodias. She's named Herodias because she is the granddaughter of King Herod the Great. So, she's actually married to her uncle Philip. And then she has an affair with her other uncle, Herod. All right? 
And um, she ends up divorcing Philip. Herod ends up divorcing his wife, who is a princess of a neighboring nation. And then they move in together. Now, this causes war. (laughs) So there's war between Philip and Herod on one side, and then there's war between Herod and his ex-wife's father on the other side. All right? And John the Baptist won't shut up about it. That's basically what's happening. When he says, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, what he's saying is, all of our men are not going into battle for justice and to defend us. They're going into battle to defend your sin. Do you think Herod wanted that message getting to his troops? No. So he's in a very bad political spot. He throws John in jail and wants to kill him, but doesn't. Why? Because he's scared of the people. He's he's scared of a revolt. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Verse 6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded and put in prison. I'm sorry, and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. John and Jesus were cousins. And by all accounts, they were, they were close. You know, and it's always hard to lose a loved one. But there are certain things that make it even harder. Like if it's a young person, it's usually harder, right? John was about 30. Um, If they weren't sick, you know, and if this is just unexpected and out of the blue, that makes it harder. If their death is unjust, like a senseless shooting, that makes it even harder. John's murder was senseless. It was senseless. I mean, Herod, is there no end to this guy's selfishness? And how many people he's going to kill just so he can lust? You know, first it's his niece, and then it's his niece's daughter, right? And he gets drunk at a party and makes a stupid promise. And, and John loses his head because of that? Can you imagine the just anguish and anger Jesus would have felt? And so he goes away, but you know, he's not, um, 
He's not the only one who's grieving. His disciples are too. They were friends of John. Many of them had been John's disciples first. There's so, there's so much senseless evil in our world. You know, I, I think of what's happening in Ukraine, right? And how the lives of Ukrainians and Russian soldiers are just being destroyed and, and for what purpose? I mean, why? I remember Eric and I, we like to watch documentaries sometimes and we were watching one on Vietnam. It's the only one we never finished because it just got so depressing about how senseless that war was. And even now, the violence, the shootings, they're just... What happened at MSU? Senseless. And most of times, we kind of ignore that senseless evil because God's blessings are so good and so prevalent. And you know, this, this last week, um, my family, we were texting each other pictures of our broken trees, you know, with like little sad face emojis. And um, But then the next day... When I was driving in here, um, I was looking, I'm like, my goodness, you know, for every broken branch, there's at least a hundred that aren't broken, right? And that's how God's blessing is. Like, his blessings far outweigh the bad things. But there are still some times when that senseless evil just kind of pops up and just you know, punches us right in the face. And and we can't escape it. There's some kind of tragedy, a death, a loss. And what I want you to know is it just doesn't punch us in the face. It punches God in the face too. He loves this world. He created it, called it good. He loves all the people in this world. And when that senseless evil just breaks our world, when it breaks human, it punches God in the face. Jesus was punched in the face with John's death. He absolutely was. And I think it's very insightful how God, how Jesus responded to it. We're going to keep going. Verse 14. So he get. Well, I'm going to read verse 13 again, if I can turn my page here. When Jesus heard all that happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot. From the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to their villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus' disciples were also tired and weary, and um, they didn't want to deal with the crowds. They didn't quite have the energy that Jesus had. Um, 
Luke's account of the story says that Herod thought Jesus was John and was trying to come see him. How do you think that made the disciples feel? They were scared, right? Herod just executes John. That's horrible. And then you hear he's trying to come and find you. That's not a good thing. Mark's account gives some other details. Can we have that passage up here? This is what Mark says about the same story. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. These disciples were exhausted. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And then Mark's story continues just like Matthew's where the disciples say, hey, it's late, send the people away. And Jesus says, no. And I remember reading this passage one time and getting angry. Like really angry with God. Because I had been doing my best to follow God and do all the things that I thought he wanted me to do. And I was getting burnt out. And I read this story where Jesus, his disciples, they're grieving, they're exhausted, they haven't even had time to eat, they're scared for their lives, and Jesus says, come with me to a solitary place, get some rest. And what happens? More crowds show up, and the disciples say, send them away, and Jesus says, no. And I, I, and I said, I said, God, you say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But honestly, it seems like an empty promise. It seems like an empty promise. So you show me in your word where you gave your disciples a rest when they needed it. And I just sat there. And this little thought came into my head. How did the people on foot get there first? So this is like the Sea of Galilee. And the Jordan River. Capernaum is about here. If they're getting in a boat and going to a solitary place... How do the people who recognize them and follow them on foot get there first? The fishermen have already got this because this is a solitary place. In the middle of the lake. Sea of Galilee is big. It's the only place where the crowds couldn't follow. Who knows how long they were out there? They're fishermen. They could have been out there for a week or so. This is a long distance around this lake on foot. 
and there were children too, you know. They were probably out there a long time. Just away from where any Roman soldiers could follow, any crowds, just with the breeze and the waves. Letting God's nature restore them. So Jesus, he takes them to that solitary place. And then, and then when they're ready, they land. And Jesus' compassion continues. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. You think the disciples were looking at him like he might was kind of crazy? Like that wasn't even enough food to feed them, let alone the 5,000 people. But we're going to thank God for it anyway. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were, was about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Do you see the compassion of Jesus? And the practicality of how he takes care of himself, he takes care of his disciples, he takes care of the crowds. You know, first he, he takes himself and his disciples alone where they can grieve. And then when they land, he, he meets all the needs of the crowd. He heals them, he feeds them, he teaches them, right? And then is it full steam ahead for the disciples? He actually sends them back out in the boat, right? Hi, how are you? I don't think that tastes very good, does it? No, that didn't taste good. It was worth a shot, though. Um... But he sends the disciples back out on the boat again. He's like, okay, I got this. Go ahead. And then he takes care of the crowd some more. And then he takes care of himself. He goes up by on a mountainside to pray by himself. Do you think um, being part of that miracle energized the disciples? Amen. I think it did. I think they weren't done grieving, but, but Jesus, he calls them out of their grief to experience something that's going to breathe hope and life into them. And then he sends them back out to have some alone time and process it some more. 
Let me just apply this a little bit to our life, okay? Some of you are already planning your next fishing trip, I know. Um, when we're in a stressful situation, there's, there's often no time to grieve and process in the middle of that situation. Um, for example, when a loved one dies, a lot of times the grief, it doesn't hit until after the funeral, right? Because that whole first week is like shock and then dealing with coroners and funeral directors and pastors and planning the service and family that's coming from out of town and there's so many things to take care of. You're just in crisis management mode. And then after the funeral, when everybody leaves, that's when it's like, oh. And sometimes that whole first year, you stay in crisis management mode because there's so much from the estate you have to deal with. And that's why grief counselors tell people a lot of times it's the second year that's actually the hardest year. That's when everything hits. And this happens in all kinds of different traumas and crisis. Um, a job loss. You lose your job. That stinks. I wasn't going to say stinks. Um, but, uh, you know, you go into crisis management mode. How are you going to pay the bills? You know, how are you going to make ends meet? And you're just dealing it and dealing it and dealing with it. You get a new job. And you think you'd feel relieved. But then all of a sudden, like, all this stress and frustration starts coming up. And you don't even know why you're so stressed and frustrated. It's because you never had time to process it during the crisis. And sometimes after the crisis, we, we don't stop. We just keep going full steam ahead. And we never slow down enough to let God cleanse us from that trauma, from that crisis, from the stress, from the frustration, from the stupid things we did in the crisis that we need to repent of. All of that kind of stuff. We just never let God cleanse us of it. We all experience times when life will punch us in the face. That's just a guarantee. I'm sorry, but it's true. And we need quiet time to reflect, to process, and to let God cleanse us. Amen. So I, I guess what I wanted to ask you today is, is your current rhythm right for your current stage of life? Is it possible God is calling you to some rest so he can cleanse you and you have not been willing to take it? If I can just be really honest, when a crisis hits, the best of us will step up to the plate. And we will do whatever it takes to pull ourselves through to pull our family through, to pull our community through, whoever we're in charge of leading, we will do what it takes to get the job done and get through that crisis. But what sometimes happens is afterwards, we stay stuck in crisis management mode because we have learned to trust in our ability to manage crises. That's what got us through. 
And so we feel secure when we're managing things and when we're controlling situations. And so even if this situation doesn't need to be managed anymore, sometimes we just run to the next one that does. Because we've learned to trust and depend on our own ability to handle crisis. And while we think we're high-functioning, we are just like radiating stress and exhaustion on the people around us. And God, he may be calling to you, let go. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Remember, resting with God, it, it is an act of trust. Amen. You have to make space for that rest. And that means letting go of some things that you have to trust God to take care of. So is it possible that God might be calling you to a different rhythm of more rest and you just haven't been willing to take it? My second question, it may be for a different group of you. Is it possible that God is calling you to experience some great work that will energize and refresh you, but you haven't been willing to go there? Like the disciples who wanted Jesus to send the crowds away because they, they were overwhelmed, they couldn't handle it. Is it possible God might be calling you to something and, and you are just too busy? Or you're like, I can't handle one more thing. I can't do it. You think you don't have anything to offer? Um, so Eric and I, we, we've church planted for 10 years. And those were 10 good but faith-stretching years. You know what faith-stretching means, right? <laughs> yeah. And then um, 2018 to 2020... Hit, and that was, um, for me, that just felt like grieving one loss after another. And, and just as the time, like, I, I thought I, I was done grieving this, this would happen. And then I'd grieve that and this. And it was just like one after another grieving, grieving. And, um, and then 2021, nothing happened and, and God just gave me space. And I got the call in early 22 to come here. And my first response was like, no, I'm not ready for the work of a pastor again. You know, I saw I'll help in the interim, but I'm not ready. And it took me a while to realize God was calling me off the sidelines, out of the boat, to experience a work of God that would renew me. Amen. And, and some of you have been hit hard. And you've been taking time to grieve. And that's good. 
But could it be that God is calling you to something that seems overwhelming, but honestly, it, it will renew and restore you? Just like that miracle breathed hope and life into the disciples. And God's calling you not so that he can send you with the crowds and like go full steam ahead. He'll still give you rest. But he's calling you to take a step of faith that will breathe hope and life and re-energize you. You know, when um, we get hit hard, our faith gets hit hard, too. And the only way to really have that faith restored is to see God do something wonderful again. The disciples, they didn't think they were ready to get back in the game. And they certainly didn't think they had anything to offer that was worthwhile to those crowds. But what did Jesus do? He took what little they had and he broke it and gave thanks to it and he used it to not only refresh them but to refresh everyone around them. And sometimes after a stressful period, we need to take time to rest but then we need to give God what little we have and let him break it. And use it to bless others. When Jesus blessed those loaves and he broke them, uh, he, was, he was foreshadowing something. Can you think of another story from Matthew where he took some bread and blessed it and broke it? Communion? The last, the last Supper. The night before he died, Right? You're all in the upper room. And he took that bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, This bread is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy because he broke himself for you. He has sacrificed everything for you so you can trust him. And he broke himself for you so you could get the healing that you need, the forgiveness that you need, the rest, the cleansing that you need. If you let him do it. In a moment, the worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in some more songs. And, and there's some different ways that you can respond. Um, as always, we have our prayer bowls up here. And there's paper in the baskets and pens. And you can write a prayer and bring it up. Um, folded prayers are unread. Unfolded prayers, I'll read and pray with you. And you can sign your name or you can do that anonymously. We have communion up here too. That you can come and take. Um, 
And I encourage you just to sit in quiet before you come and just let God evaluate you and bring to your mind whatever he wants to tell you. Maybe there's some sin you need to repent of. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe he just wants to talk to you about your rhythm of life right now. And what he's calling you to. But take a few moments and let him speak to you and bless you through communion. I will also be in the back as I have um, every Sunday this month. There's um, some cards back there and pens. And this is just if anyone wants to be prayed for and anointed with oil. Um, You can write what you want to be prayed for. Um, There's a question, can we lay hands on you? Some people are comfortable with that. If you're not, that's totally fine. I get it. You can just circle yes or no. Um, And then there's, there's a sin you need to confess and you want to confess. You can write that down too. And um, just so I can assure you of God's forgiveness. Sometimes we need people to look us in the eye and be Jesus with skin on and say, you're forgiven. God's forgiven you. And then we have a little bowl back there on the altar where we burn those things and just, they're gone. All right? So these are all options for you of how you want to respond in worship today. But worship team, will you guys come? And I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are so good. And I thank you that your intentions towards us are always good. That you are merciful. That you are kind. That you are gentle and humble. And God, I pray you will help us now come to you with our burdens. God, some of us know right away what's burdening us. Some of us don't. Some of us are carrying around tension and frustration or stress. Or exhaustion, and we might not even realize how exhausted we are because we've just gotten so used to it. God, I pray that you will bring to our mind whatever it is that's weighing us down. I pray, God, that you'll silence all distracting thoughts and that we will hear from you. Lord, we want to be made clean. We need to be made clean. And so, God, we thank you for your spirit, for the blood of Jesus Christ, for your word, and for the fellowship of other believers and these chances we have to come together and seek you for healing and for cleansing. 
God, we thank you for the gift of communion, the bread and the cup. We pray, God, your presence upon them, that we would receive your presence and your grace through them. Thank you that you have not forgotten us. We pray, God, that we will not forget you, that we will remember you as you truly are, the good and gracious God who meets with us, who wants to come and get alone with us, not to wear us out, but to renew and refresh us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.